0: This is most certainly true. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines the light of his love into dark places, our world, our lives, our hearts. And his light chases away the darkness of sin and makes us to shine with his glory. And through his saving work, we will rise and shine to live forever in the glory of heaven. Behold the splendor of Jesus' love in this sermon Recently delivered at Grace. The second reading, the Apostle Peter's second letter in chapter one. It is the basis for the sermon today. Peter was an eyewitness of the transfiguration of our Lord. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love with Him. I am well pleased, we ourselves, heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, above all, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit.
1: Oh, to have been a fly on the wall that day. Although I suppose technically they were outside, so maybe better. Oh, to have been a bee buzzing around the mountainside the day that was recorded for us in today's gospel. What a sight that must have been to see. For men then six and then four again a cloud that enveloped them all the bright radiance brighter than any man or fly or bee had ever seen before what a sight it must have been but there were words to witness two can you imagine being privy to the conversations that were being had there on the mountaintop. Matthew's Gospel that was read from the lectern just before tells us that Moses and Elijah and Jesus struck up a conversation there on the mountain. The Gospel writer Luke helps us to understand what it was about which they spoke. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was... a he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What conversation that must have been. Like two star-struck little boys beholding their hometown hero for the first time. They spent their lifetimes, their, their ministries, leading God's people and reminding them of his promises and pointing them forward to the one who would come and now They shared the same soil, and they stood side by side and face to face, and they spoke about it all, about what was happening on the mountain that day, about what would happen when Jesus and his disciples went down the mountain. What a conversation that must have been. It's interesting that Luke chooses to use the word departure. They spoke about the departure of Jesus which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That's interesting to me because Moses and Elijah are pretty near the top of the list of interesting departures in the Old Testament. Remember, God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt through the dry ground where the Red Sea once was and out into the wilderness. There God called Moses to lead the people on his behalf. And he led them right up to the cusp of the promised land. And that's when God called Moses up Mount Nebo and gave him a chance to see north to south, east to west, the entirety of the promised land, the land that God had promised to Moses' ancestors, the land that he would give to the next generation. God called Moses up for one last interaction. And then Moses departed. Departed from that special relationship that he had with God here on earth to an eternal and a perfect relationship with him in heaven. We're even told an interesting fact that God was the one who personally tended to the burial of Moses' body. Elijah's departure from this world was an interesting one. Elijah served God faithfully as a prophet, even had a hand in training the next generation of prophets of the Lord. And then when his ministry was complete, when he had finished and accomplished the tasks that God called him to accomplish, the day for his departure arrived. And God sent the fiery horsemen and and the chariots, and he had Elijah taken up To heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah never experienced death, but bodily went to heavenly glory. But it was Jesus' departure that took the cake. Jesus' departure from this world was the one that actually meant something and actually did something for someone else, for everyone else. In fact, Jesus' departure, it was the whole reason that he came. He left heaven and came to earth so that he would depart. He lived a perfect life, the life that we could never live. He satisfied the demands of of God's holy decrees. And then he departed. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. Peter had a hard time understanding that. That's why he suggested, let's set up shelters Jesus, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter wanted to stay up on Glory Mountain. He thought this is great and we should make this last for as long as we can. But that wasn't why Jesus came. Jesus came to depart. Having lived that perfect life in our place, Jesus laid down that life. He shed holy and innocent blood so that we could be forgiven. Jesus came to the place where we are so that he could save us, so that he could wash us clean, so that we could go to the place where he lives and that we could live with him in perfect harmony with God forever. And that's really what transfiguration is all about. Jesus wanted his disciples to be reminded of who he was and what he had come to accomplish. It wasn't long before that Jesus announced to his disciples in a crystal clear way with vivid accuracy that he had come to suffer and to die and then on the third day he would be raised again to life. The disciples never seemed to listen long enough to hear about the happy ending, to hear the statement of victory that Jesus had made. And they were offended at Jesus' statement about suffering And dying, and they tried to deter him. Could they have really forgotten what the Messiah had come to do? Had Peter really forgotten the confession that he made barely a week before? Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And then specifically to Peter. And he declared with faith and with boldness, You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus knew that when he climbed down that mountain, a time would come when his life wouldn't look so glorious, when he would be betrayed into the hands of men, when he would be beaten and bloodied and looking defeated on the cross. Jesus knew that a time was coming for the disciples when their lives wouldn't look So glorious when persecution and hardship and trials would come. And he knows that the same is true for us, that our lives don't always look as glorious as we would like them to be. Jesus knows that there are times when the hurdles and the hardships are more than we can bear. There are times when life doesn't go as smoothly as we would like, when the evil that surrounds us rears its ugly head. Jesus knew. Jesus knew those things, and so he reveals to us a glorious reminder of who he is. When we're tempted to question or doubt or despair, we can turn to Jesus, and we can see him pulling back that curtain and giving us a glimpse of his glory. Peter was an eye and an ear witness to the events of the transfiguration. And that's why he called attention to those words as he wrote the letter that we know of as Second Peter. He wrote that entire letter and specifically the words of it, the portion of it that is our second reading today, He wrote those words to warn his friends about the dangers of false doctrine. To warn them to look always and only to Jesus and to stand firm in his truth. Jesus, Peter, excuse me, recalled the events that happened 20 years before he wrote these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. There's a place for fantasy, a place for fairy tales, a place for make-believe. But when speaking about our relationship with a righteous God, when speaking about our eternal fate, those aren't such times. And that's why Peter came to his people and that's why he comes to us with the truth. The rock-solid truth that he witnessed with his own Eyes that he heard with his own ears, the events of that transfiguration day that he knew for certain were true. The words that God the Father spoke about Jesus words of affirmation, words of commendation just about the highest praise that could be given. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father was pleased with the work that Christ Jesus had accomplished. Living a perfect life in your place and in mine. God the Father was pleased with him because he knew that that work would be accomplished. That he would pay the full price. That sin's debt would be forgiven. That you and I and all who believe in him would be washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. God the Father knew that Jesus would accomplish the mission for which he was sent, and that pleased him. But it's more than just Peter, James, and John who got to witness the glory. Peter tells us how we can witness the glory too. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The transfiguration confirms every promise that the Old Testament ever made about Jesus. It assures for us that Jesus is the one who crushed the serpent's head. It assures for us that Jesus is the one to whom the scepter of Judah belongs. The transfiguration proves the fact that Jesus is the one who caused Abraham to be a blessing to every nation. It guarantees for us that Moses, that Jesus is the one, the prophet who came after Moses. Through transfiguration, we can be certain that Jesus is great, David's greater son. That he is the one that caused. David's throne to last forever. We can know with assurance that Jesus is the one who came to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captive free, that he is the sacrificial lamb of God who shed his blood for the forgiveness of the whole world. We know for certain Jesus is the messenger that God sent. Every word that the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah, the transfiguration proves that it's true. Jesus is Son of Man and Son of God, together in human form, to be our Savior. On the mountaintop that day, we can see it all so clearly. Suppose that you are taking a hike through a system of caves. You peer your head into one and see that it's a little bit deeper than the other one you've been going into, but you're adventurous, and so you make your way in. About halfway in, you hear the ground start to rumble and you feel rocks that are falling off of the cave walls and suddenly the light that was at your back is no more. You turn around to find that the opening of the cave has been completely closed shut by a rock slide. You lost your flashlight and your safety gear and the commotion. All you have is the bottle of water in one hand and a granola bar in the other You don't know how long this is going to be. You try to ration it out to maintain as long as you can. You have no clue how much oxygen is or isn't in the cave. But before you know it, your water bottle is gone and the granola bar has disappeared. Now you just wait. An hour, two, five. Overnight, you wake up and... Hope that it was a dream, but it's not. Still, you sit there alone in the dark with your thoughts. You're not sure how long it is or what time of day or what day it is, but suddenly you see a flicker of a light. Someone's on the other side and they've got a flashlight and they've they've found a hole somewhere in that new wall of rocks. How... How do you respond? Eh, I just got comfortable. Uh, I don't really feel like going over there to check that out. Of, Of course not. No way. When you're in the darkness, you have to pay attention to the light. If you care about your safety, you have to pay attention to the light. That's the only option you have. We were born into the darkness of sin, but it's just precisely then that Christ Jesus came as the light of the world. He shone His light into our dark lives. He opened our eyes so that we could see the light, so that we could see Him for who He really is, that we could know of His goodness, and that we could know of His love. God sends us His holy word so that we can recount day, day, After day after day, the consistency and the faithfulness of the love that our God has shown to us. And you would do well to pay attention to the light. That's why Peter said, (coughs) Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has given us his holy scriptures in precisely the way that he intended to give it. He spoke to us his words in various ways using various authors, yet miraculously he makes it so that it's his word. He uses the personalities and writing styles and vocabularies that vary from author to author, yet he maintains the veracity and integrity of his word. The words of God that we have are precisely the words that God wants to give us. That's called verbal inspiration. That means you can open the Bible to any page of Scripture and say this is the word of God. These are the words that point me to Jesus. These words are most certainly true we have the completely reliable words of our God. He gives us just what we need, just when we need it. He inspired those writers so that through him we would know of his love. (laughs) Through him we would appreciate his faithfulness. Through them we would see the light of the world. Our triune God, our Savior. Through the Holy Scriptures, we can see the light and it shines into our hearts even on the dark days. Through the Holy Scriptures, we can see our God's will for us. And He shows us the way that we can please Him. The way that we can serve Him and thank Him for all that He has done for us. For saving us from sin, for paying a debt that we could never pay, for opening the doors of heaven. For showing us a glimpse of his glory. Through his word we can witness the glory of our God. Peter, James, and John were given some instructions. Matthew records them for us. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man Has been raised from the dead. Jesus had his reasons for that prohibition, but the terms of that arrangement have expired. Christ Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. And our second reading is proof that Peter made it his life goal to share with as many as he could the glorious events of that day. He recounted the glory of the transfiguration and shared it with as many as he could so that they could gain from him the same encouragement that Jesus gave to Peter, so that they too, like he, could witness the glory. Peter experienced more glory than just the mountaintop. He had the glory of sitting at Jesus' feet and following him through three years of public ministry. He had the glory of God being faithful to his promises as Peter was sent out to proclaim the gospel, preaching a sermon on Pentecost, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Peter was a witness of the glory of God. And then he witnessed so that many more souls would be touched by the good news of Jesus. You and I have God's inspired scriptures written for us. And that means that we too are witnesses of the glory. Not just of transfiguration, but of God's entire plan of salvation promised through the prophets, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We can witness the glory and that means that we too are witnesses. There are plenty in our lives who are living in the dark, who need the light of the Gospel to be shown into their lives. There are plenty who have not seen and do not know what we have seen and what we know, and so we can witness. We can witness to the glory of Christ, we can share the news of sins forgiven. We can share the message of a God who loves us with an everlasting love. Then many more might join with us in honoring our God, in worshiping his holy name, and in the status of being co-heirs with Christ of heavenly glory. There in heaven it will be more than a glimpse. There we will bask in the fullness of his glory, glory that will never fade and that will never end. This is our certain future because of our God's glorious love.
0: Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.